next door brother Three weekend rows of town By turning the whole place upside down Many awake will cause such a fuss It finally wakes the rest of us One man awakes with dawn in his eyes Surely then it multiplies So that's number five, number five on its way. Um, and for, for those of you that probably know a bit of our story, they've been journeying with us for, for a while, we would really appreciate um, your prayer. Um, uh, for, as some of you know, there's, um, you know, it's a bit, of, bit of a journey for us, the whole pregnancy thing. So, so please, we would uh, appreciate your prayers. Um, we still haven't figured out how it happens, but we'll, we'll figure it out and we'll, we'll put a stop to it. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, thanks, team. You're awesome. Great. Great leading this morning, Polly. Hey, isn't she a treasure? Goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I, I love it when, uh, you know, when she just breaks into that spontaneous and prophetic because it just, it breaks something, eh? It's like... Yeah, that's cool. All right, um, welcome. Uh, if it's your first time with us or you've been visiting over the last couple of weeks, it's great to have you here. And um, yeah, uh, we just would love to, to meet you, get to know you. Uh, feel free to hang around afterwards, enjoy a coffee on us, an espresso coffee at the cafe, and hang around. Uh, hopefully, as you came in this morning, you would have got a, a bag or a, or a box with a little bit of inf- information about us and some, some goodies. I think there's some lollies in there. We'll give you lollies so that you can eat the lollies so that you don't uh, fall asleep while I preach, and uh, they're also pretty good. Great. All right, so this morning, uh, we are speaking on this topic, um, how do you wear your tassels? How do you wear your tassels? And for some of you, you might be thinking, this is, this is weird, uh, but it's all the guys, especially, it's like, I don't even have tassels on any of my clothing. Um, but hopefully by the end of it, you'll get the picture. So I, I want to talk a little, like at, we, we normally do series uh, here at, at Awaken, but every now and then we just sort of uh, do a few odd ones here and there. And so this is just one of those odd ones here and there. Um, and so uh, so the, the idea is this, is how do you wear your tassels? Um, and so the, do you know that God has a big idea? Like, like this, the, the Bible is, is the story of God's big idea, that he actually has a big idea, and his big idea is his kingdom. It's the restoration of the original identity and purpose of all things. That's what God is up to, and that's what he's been up to since the beginning of time. Um, And we know that Jesus is central to the fulfillment of God's big idea. Um, And and so throughout the Old Testament, there were these prophecies, these these pictures, these these symbols of of the one who was to come, the, the Messiah. They would call him the Messiah, the one who would save uh, the world, the, the Messiah that is coming, uh, and, and in Jewish prophecy, one of the particular ones uh, that I want to pick up on this morning is this, this one that says that there will be a Messiah coming who will have healing in his wings. 
He'll, he'll have healing in his wings. And, and so I want to pick up on, on that this morning and unpack what, what does that have to do with God's big idea? And what does that have to do with us here in the right now, here in the Hutt Valley? And, and what on earth does it have to do with tassels? So I want to pick up on on this first, that that there's four things that Jesus primarily came to do, amongst other things, but four things that he primarily came to do, and and it's these. So Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, God with us, came to reveal the Father's love, free us from the power of sin, restore his kingdom, and shut down religion, so that we can share in his eternal life and become ambassadors of his kingdom. And what do I mean by religion? I, I mean that during the time of Jesus, there was a, the religious system had taken over uh, and, and it had, had married the, the state. It was, you know, all things go really bad when religion and the state marry together. And it had married the state and, and it was, had become the system of enslavement where it was actually enslaving people. Uh, and Jesus came to set people free uh, from this, this religious system that was uh, enslaving people. And really, it was about this idea that we had to somehow, some way, get ourselves right with God, and, and th- through rituals and all sorts of things. But Jesus came to uh, actually reconcile us to Him, and, and it's beautiful. So Jesus came to restore His kingdom here on earth, and and the kingdom is evident and tangible in the lives of everyone who has made Jesus King of their hearts. Right. So so the kingdom is real, it's tangible, and it's evident in the lives of everyone who has made, king, made Jesus king of their hearts. And, and so throughout Scripture, we see descriptions of the kingdom, and, and it's described as uh, one of the key ones that Paul uses is that it's righteousness, peace, and joy. And so the kingdom is observable, it's demonstrable, it's, it's demonstrated, and it's growing as a seed on the inside of, of every person that's made Jesus king. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, if we have made Jesus king of our lives, then, then the attributes of the kingdom, righteousness, peace, and joy, cannot actually be robbed from us. And so, so if we've made Jesus king of our lives, what is on the inside of us because of him cannot be robbed from us. And so I'd like to suggest if your joy and your peace has been robbed from you, if, if circumstances around you are robbing you of peace and joy, the potential is, is that you've sought peace and joy in circumstances or people around you rather than in Jesus, who is the king of your heart. And so this kingdom, this kingdom that has come, that Jesus restored, we are now ambassadors of. And so an ambassador is someone that lives in another country who speaks the language of both nations and is able to represent and translate the language and culture of one nation into another. And so as ambassadors of this kingdom, we are called to translate heaven, so to speak, into the earth. We are, we are called to be citizens of both. We are called to, to carry the life and culture and heart of heaven and translate it into the earth. And so I'd like to pick up on this idea this morning that, that ambassadors are both models and agents. Ambassadors are both models and agents of culture. So we are models of the kingdom when we gather, right? So when we gather, we are a model of the kingdom. And when we scatter, when we, when we go out into our weeks, we, we become agents of the kingdom. Now, I want to pick up on this, this word model. So a model is a three-dimensional representation of a person or thing 
or a proposed structure, typically on a smaller scale than the original. Or, or it's a, a thing used as an example to follow or imitate. It's an archetype or a prototype. And, and so the church, you and I, are an archetype or a prototype of the kingdom. We are, we are a model of the kingdom. And, and so if someone was to come to you and say, hey, what, what, what does the kingdom of heaven even look like? You should be able to say, come to church on Sunday, you'll see it. Be, because God's people will be modeling it, will show you what it looks like. Now, the, the interesting thing is, is that our original identity and purpose was that of a model. So, so humanity was made in the image of God. Anyone remember that, that, that passage? You know, like humanity, we are made in the image and likeness of God. And, and that word that is used for image in the Bible is the same word used for idol. And, and an, an idol in the ancient Near East, so in the, in the, uh, the time when Genesis and all that was written, uh, an idol was like a, a, a handcrafted or a, or a model of a god. And so, so what would happen in those days is that they would carry a model or an image or an idol of the god that they worshipped. And so obviously they couldn't carry the big statue, you know, like most, most of the uh, gods in those times were represented by a big statue. You couldn't carry that around with you everywhere. So they would make little idols or models or images of that god so they could carry it around in their pocket and remember the god that they worshipped. And what they would also do, every nation, not just the Israelites, would have an ark. And in the ark, they would put covenants. And along with the covenants, they would put the idol of the God they worshipped. And so every nation did this. And the Israelites also had an ark. We read that in Scripture. They had an ark that they put their covenants in, and they carried it around with them everywhere they went. But... Uh, there was this particular time, I can't remember the name of the king, I tried to look it up quickly this morning, but I couldn't, couldn't quickly find it, but there was a particular king that when they uh, dis, um, destroyed or, or beat Israel in a war uh, and, and overtook them, uh, he said, I, I want to find the image of the God of Israel, because he'd heard so much about the God of Israel and how powerful this God of Israel was. He said, I, I want to see what it looks like, I want to see what this God looks like, because no one had ever seen this God, and so he actually went in and opened up the Ark of the Covenant to look for the idol, and it was not there. Why? Because the people, the people were the image of the God of Israel. Humanity is the God, and so they didn't carry around an idol in the Ark. Isn't that interesting? Because they were the image of God. And so we should be able to say, come and see the kingdom of God at work. Come to the church, you'll see what the kingdom looks like. We are models of the kingdom. We are also agents of the kingdom. And so an agent means this, it means a personal thing that takes an active role or produces a specified effect or acts on behalf of. So acts on behalf of. So, so we act on behalf of Jesus and represent him and his kingdom. As citizens and ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, we are an archetype called to be architects of culture. We, we bring the life and culture of heaven and we, and we bring it into the earth. I, I, I believe that as, as, as musicians and as worshippers, at the role of a musician and a worshipper, and I, I would hope that we are all worshippers, is to hear the sound of heaven and then bring it into the earth. 
And as workers, wherever we go in our vocations, whatever we are doing, our, our job is or our role is to bring the values of the kingdom and then bring them into our workplace so that we can infect our workplaces with the culture and life of heaven. See, scripture says that we are a kingdom of priests, that we are meditators between God and man, mediators between heaven and earth, that, that we hear from heaven and bring that word into the earth. We bring the life, the culture, and the heart of heaven into the earth. Does that make sense? So I want to, I'll give you an example. Take peace for an example. Peace uh, is the word Shalom. And shalom has a variety of meanings. It's kind of like our word kia like in the sense, and I probably said that horribly um, badly, but it's like that in the sense that it has sort of multiple meanings. Um, but shalom, one of the greatest meanings I love about shalom is this, is the power to break the spirit of chaos, right? So it's the power to break the spirit of chaos, or, or it means complete wholeness. And so when we gather when we gather together as, as a church, whether that be in small groups or, or just in a cafe together, or when we gather on Sundays, uh, we model shalom. And, and then when we scatter, we become agents of shalom. So, so when people come into, into our gathering, no matter what is going on in their world, the spirit of chaos is broken in the presence of the king. So, so we model this when we gather together, and as agents, we scatter that. And so there's this gathering and scattering, there's this coming and going sort of element of the kingdom. And so when we gather, it should be like a microcosm, a hotbed of kingdom activity. Because the church is a gathered group of people who are no longer trying to get their needs met, but have found the pearl of great price. We are the ones who have met the king and his kingdom is growing in us. And so the church should be a hotbed of love, of unity, and of service to, towards one another. And so the question I think that we have to ask ourselves is, is, is why don't we see or experience that to the degree that I'm sure we're all hungry for? We might see it in pockets and we might see it every now and then or we might see it all the time. It's sort of up to our own experience. But, 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 but why do we not see it in a way that we are, I, I believe we would all be hungry for? This, this idea of, of complete unity and love and service towards one another. So I'm convinced that we don't see it to that level because I, I believe that most Christians have mistaken the church for the kingdom. Most Christians have mistaken the church for the kingdom. There, there is a big difference between a church mindset and a kingdom mindset. There's a big difference between trying to Christianize the world and actually bringing the kingdom of heaven into the earth. And, and if you're interested in, in that, there's a bit of a plug for Awaken You tonight, because that is what we are going to be unpacking, is the kingdom and the church. How does this all work? What does it look like? What is our role as the church? And what, what is the kingdom of heaven? And so we're going to be unpacking that uh, tonight at Awaken You. So 6 o'clock tonight, come along. 5.30, 5.30. Um, but yeah, I would really encourage you to come along. But I, I honestly believe that, that our default is a church mindset. Because it is what we have grown up with generally. It's what we've understood. Um, and so I, I hope that we can sort of unhinge that a little bit or unpack that a little bit for us. Here's the point that the church cannot meet the needs of the human heart. 
right? We need to really get that, get that settled in our hearts. The church cannot meet the needs of the human heart. When we replace the church with the kingdom, we are trying to get from the church what it was never designed to give. When we do that, instead of a hotbed of love and unity and service, we actually end up with a hotbed of comparison, criticism, and judgment because we are trying to get our needs met. And when we're trying to get our needs met, the only way to get our needs met is to compare ourselves to other people and to criticize and to judge. Because, but that is not the role of the church. No, no, the role of the church is the gathered group of people who have found their needs met in the king and his kingdom. See, when we try and get our authority and our significance and our identity in the church, we are looking for it in the wrong place. See, the innate questions of the human heart are this, do I belong? What authority do I have? Am I safe and secure and am I significant? They are, they are the four questions I believe that, that every human heart is asking and they are answered by the king and his kingdom, not by the church. The church is the people who have found that. That that is actually the role, like that is who we are as the church. And so, so when we try to get from the church what we can only find in the kingdom, we are, we are trying to get our significance and our authority and our sense of belonging and feeling safe and secure from, from people around us rather than in him. And that's when it goes horribly wrong. The church cannot answer those core questions of the heart. The church is the people who have discovered it or are on a journey to discovering it in him. Right, so the kingdom is unknown until there is revelation, until our hearts and minds are awakened to the internal realities of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, until that happens, we can live a good Christian life, but we're actually called to live a significant kingdom life. See, until we've genuinely met the king and understand his heart, we won't recognize the kingdom when it comes. Until we have chosen to engage in the ways of the kingdom or been activated usually by demonstration and discipleship, we actually live unaware of the kingdom around us. And even the kingdom of heaven, you know, the king, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like there's sort of this idea that it's right there. It's like, it's like just at the end of your hand. It's, it's just here but we can actually live our whole Christian life having never touched the kingdom that is just at hand. It's just here. Because it's never been revealed to us. We've never encountered the king and his kingdom. We, we haven't stepped into the ways of the kingdom and we haven't practiced the kingdom. And so, so there's never that activation of the kingdom. And we, so we live without touching it. But we are called not just to touch it, but to live in it, to demonstrate it, to be ambassadors of it. So Matthew 5 verse 16, uh, Jesus said, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So in the same way, let your light shine before others. What he's saying is, is live your kingdom life in front of others. Live your kingdom life in front of others so that people can observe the good news of the kingdom and this word glorify means to have a good opinion that is of value. So, so we live our lives in front of people, our kingdom lives in front of people, and people will observe the good news of the kingdom in your life, and they will have a good opinion of value towards who? The Father. They will have good, new, a good 
opinion that adds value to the fathers. And so, so this, is, this is our role. Our, our lives are representatives of the kingdom in such a way that people observe us and go, man, your God must be good. Your God must be so good. And, and, and you know, like, and, and the place where they should most have that experience and that, that see that is when we gather. When we gather together, they should see that. All right, so what's this about tassels? What's this about tassels? So, so here is a, a, a traditional uh, Jewish prayer shawl, and they had a number of different types of, of shawls, and I won't try and say the Jewish name for it, um, because I'll get it wrong. But, but uh, at some point, God said to the Israelites, he said, and you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them and be holy for your God. And he said, you should sew tassels onto the corner of your garment. All right, so they would wear these garments, these prayer shawls, and they had tassels on the corner of it. Now, now the, the same word for, for uh, tassels uh, is wings. Right, so it's the same word. So, so when they said there's coming a Messiah who will have healing in his wings, uh, the, the people of Israel would have literally understood that to mean that, that there would be a person who if we could touch the corner of his garment, we would be healed. So you should sew these tassels onto the corners of your garment. And so, so there was a little bit more meaning to these tassels, and it, was, it went like this. There, there are five knots in each tassel. And so each knot represented a book of the Torah. So it's, it represented Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So they, they would have these five knots to represent uh, the Word of God. And in between each of the five knots, they had four spaces, and these four spaces were meant to represent the name of Yahweh. And so for them, they couldn't even say the name of Yahweh, and so the four spaces would, would, would be for the, the four, uh, uh, the four uh, vowels or the four parts of, of the word, which was yad heh vah and, and it was just these four letters, and so, so they, they had these four spaces there and so, so they on their on their shawls on their garments in the corner they would have tassels that had the word of God and the name of God. And then it took six hundred and thirteen loops to tie one of these tassels, and there are exactly six hundred and thirteen commands of God in the Old Testament. And so, so they had the word of God, the name of God, and the ways of God literally tied to them. And so when these tassels were actually tied correctly, it would end up with eight strands. And eight is the number of new beginnings, which is the number of grace. And so they would have the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the nature of God, the grace of God, all tied to them. Now, why would God do that? Why would God tell them to do this? And it's because we're people. And we're really tactile, eh? Like we need imagery and we need some symbolism to help us understand what it is that we're doing and, and who we are. And, and so, so, they, so they would wear it. And another thing that they would do is when they wore the prayer shawl, they would take these tassels and they'd wrap them around their fingers. And so they would hold the tassels in their, in their hands uh, as they prayed. And, and so the, the idea with that is that, 
for them, uh, and, and they often, like, wasn't just when they prayed, they used to have these things wrapped around their fingers, and the idea is this, is that for me to, to sin with my hands, I would literally have to unwrap God from my life to be able to do that. And so there's, there's this powerful imagery and symbolism uh, all tied up in the tassels. And then Jesus turns up, and we see that sick people touch the corner of his garment, and that was the tassels. And you know, in Matthew 9, we see the woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. She, she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. And in, Matthew, uh, sorry, in Luke 8, um, sorry, also in Luke 8, and, and in Matthew 14, it says, And they begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched it were made perfectly well. In, in, in Mark 6, it says, Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplace and begged him, begged him that they might just touch the border of his garment, and as many as touched him were made well. And it starts to give a whole lot more understanding to when, when David cut off the corner of Saul's garment. He literally cut off his authority and then Saul turns around and says to David that the kingdom is now in his hand. Well, it makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? You know? So there will be one coming from God, a son of righteousness, with healing in his wings. See, they, they understood that whoever this Messiah is, there's something about how he carries the name of God, the word of God, the ways of God, the grace of God, the nature of God. There's something about the way he carries the very presence of God on himself that will bring healing, that will bring hope, that will bring restoration to people around him. And now as ambassadors of Christ, as ones who have Jesus living in us, we carry the name of God, the word of God, the ways of God, the grace of God, the nature of God. And how we carry him is really important. See, the tassels for us now, today, are how we choose to live our lives in front of others. So the question is this, how will you wear your tassels? How will you wear your tassels? How will you live your life in front of others? In uh, Matthew 23, Jesus gives a warning to the Pharisees about how they're wearing their tassels. He says this, Then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but... Do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put, put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries, which are these things that they would wear on their foreheads and on their wrists, uh, with, and they'd have verses and passages in them. Uh, they, they make them wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. 
The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Jesus is addressing this particular issue with the Pharisees who were literally wearing their tassels long. They, they would wear their tassels long so that everyone could see their tassels. And, and it was this picture of pride and, and arrogance and, and, and Jesus is saying, don't, don't be like them. You are to live your lives in front of others, but do it with humility. Do it with honor. And so Jesus, at one point, he turns up into the temple when he turns the tables. Anyone know that story where, where it seems like, like Jesus is having a little bit of a, a bad day and he, he, he turns the tables and he curses a fig tree? <laughs> um, but he, he gets to the temple and he turns the tables and, and he says, you have turned my house into a den of thieves. You've turned my house into a den of thieves. Now, I want you to think about, about that. A den of thieves is a place for, for thieves to hide. It's a place for, for thieves to hide. It wasn't so much what was happening in the temple that was the issue. It was what was happening outside of the temple. It was the fact that outside of the temple, they were enslaving people, making people pay to get right with God, and then they were hiding inside the temple, inside behind their religious facade. See, this was the issue. He said, you actually turned my temple into a den of thieves. He wasn't just calling them thieves. He was saying, you're actually using religion to hide behind what you're really doing. He's saying, you live your lives this way, and then you hide yourself behind your religion. This is where in our tassels, long and wrong. So how do we solve this issue? And how did Jesus solve this issue? Jesus moved people from doctrine to yoke. And we need to move from doctrine to yoke. What's the difference between doctrine and yoke? It's moving from being right to living right. What is a yoke? A yoke is a rabbi's way of living. See, a rabbi generally had to teach the doctrine. It had to teach uh, whatever was currently being taught, but there was a level of rabbi who could create their own yoke. And that's why whenever you hear people uh, referring to Jesus' teaching, they would say, this is a teacher of authority. See, Jesus wasn't just a rabbi. He was a rabbi above rabbis, and he was a teacher with authority which meant that he could actually create his own yoke, which is why you see Jesus constantly saying, you've heard it said, but I say. From the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' yoke. It's his description of this isn't just what you should believe, but this is how you should live in light of what you believe, moving from doctrine to yoke. See, Jesus is creating his own yoke, and he's saying his yoke is easy and his burden is light. See, Jesus' yoke is his way of living. It's his way of life. See, doctrine is what we believe. Yoke is how we live what we believe. I, I, I know people that have all the right doctrine, but very little about their lives point me to Jesus. 
See, living our lives in front of others sometimes for some people means just being right. But who knows that we can be right and be horribly wrong at the top of our voice at the same time. Who knows that sometimes we can be, we can be right but in the wrong way. Now here's an interesting thought. You know, sometimes you know, someone might say, well, you just think you're right all the time. Well, I don't know anyone that opens their mouths intentionally wanting to be wrong. <laughs> like, everyone thinks that they're right all of the time. Like, you don't, you don't say things that you don't think are right. But what would it look like to live in a way of humility where being right isn't actually the highest goal? I think the best example of, of how do we check ourselves with this is um, Shane Willard said this once, I thought it was um, quite humorous but challenging at the same time. He said, live in such a way that you are never the punchline of one of Jesus' parables. I think that's a good check. Here's an example, forgiveness. We all believe in the doctrine of forgiveness, Yeah. I don't think there'd be a person in this room that wouldn't say that Jesus asked us to forgive, that forgiveness is a good thing. Doctrine. Actually forgiving people? Yoke. It's not what we believe, but how we believe what we believe that is important. See, to have the right doctrine about money, but then to not give generously to the poor and to the afflicted, is to just have good doctrine, but no yoke. It's wearing our tassels right. Um, the uh, music team can come back. That would be great. And we'll just finish with this story about this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And in Luke 8, verse 43 to 48, it says this, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I, I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not get unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Go in peace. So, so this particular woman, she'd been bleeding for 12 years and she was considered uh, unclean. And the Hebrew word for, for unclean here is the word temeh. Temeh, which means that someone is ritually uh, impure. And so someone that is, is impure is, is temeh and someone that is pure is, is the word tahor. And, and so this woman uh, is not just Tamei, she's been Tamei for 12 years. For 12 years she's been Tamei. For 12 years she would have had to walk around wherever she went and, and say, Tamei, Tamei, Tamei. She would have to walk around saying, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. Because according to their culture and according to their understanding of, of Tamei, the idea is this, is that, is that if, if my wife was Tamei, She's not, by the way. She had a shower. Uh, if I touched her, then I would become Tamei. 
and, and it was pretty extreme. There were all sorts of rules around that. A, a woman who was, who was uh, on her period uh, was considered tamay. This is just their culture. Uh, and so if, if my wife, she's pregnant, she's not on a period, but anyway, <laughs> this is, I need to explain this. If she got up from her chair, I, I, no one could sit on that chair for three days. Otherwise, they would become tamay. There, there were all, all these rules and rituals around who was unclean and who was clean. And if you t- touch someone unclean, then you would become unclean yourself. And, and so, so her husband would have had the legal right to divorce her because she was permanently unclean. Like, like this woman has lived 12 years of shame. 12 years of shame. But this woman, she heard that the Messiah had come. And she would have known that the Messiah would have healing in his wings. And so she takes the opportunity and she reaches out and touches his garment. She touches his garment in faith. The very tassels of his garment carry healing for the nations. But here's the thing that that this woman who's Temei, when she reached out and touched Jesus, according to Old Testament law, he should have become Temei, but actually she became Tahor. She became clean. See, whenever someone who is Temei comes into contact with Jesus, they become whole. They become whole. Jesus says to this woman, go in peace, go in shalom. And, and you know, this word shalom, it, it's not just the absence of conflict, but it's, it's, it's the presence of wholeness without one missing piece. Go in the presence of wholeness without one missing piece. You know, this, this issue of bleeding, it was 12 years of abandonment, of, of not being touched. Imagine that, not being touched for 12 years. That's why Jesus touched every leper. When he healed them. Why? Because he's, he's healing their hearts at the same time. He's saying, no one has touched you for years, but I will touch you. You're touchable. You're worthwhile. You're valued. See, this woman would have felt like an outcast, being gossiped about. And, and physical healing is great, but Jesus says, not just you are healed, but you are whole. Go in wholeness. Go in wholeness. For Jesus, salvation was way bigger than just where your eternal destiny will be. It's, it's bigger than just heaven and hell. It's, it's you are made whole. You, you are whole. And I'm sure that there's some of us here today that need a physical touch from God, but, but He wants more than that for you. He wants you to be whole. He says, go in peace. And this is, imagine for her, Like, go in peace, go in shalom would have meant this. Go and don't let your past imprison your future. Go and don't treat everyone in your future by the way everybody in your past has treated you. Because who knows that that we do that? We, We treat people today by the hurts of the past. And the people today had nothing to do with that. 
And we usually do it to the people that, that, are, that are closest to us. You know, who's had a bad day at work? Yeah, just an awful day at work, driving home, someone cuts us off, and bah, you know, all that sort of stuff. Who do we take it out on? Usually our family. The people that had nothing to do with the thing that is causing us the pain. Now go in peace. Go in shalom. You've been made whole. You've been made whole. See, Jesus, his yoke is this. It's simply to receive his love and release his love. So he didn't just give us directions for how to live. The life of the tassels are now in us. So whenever people touch us, they should touch the hem of his garment. When people touch our lives, they should be touching the tassels of the Messiah. So as ambassadors of the kingdom, just like Jesus who had healing in his wings, so should our lives bring healing and hope through humility and love into the lives of those around us. How will you wear your tassels? How will you wear your tassels? Why don't you stand with me this morning? I want to pray, and then I, I want to pray this morning as well for those that are unwell. Why don't you just fix your hearts towards Him this morning? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Jesus, we just want to take this moment to thank you, just to honor you. We thank you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Your yoke is to do the will of the Father. And we thank you that you release us in wholeness. We thank you that it is not our job to try and make ourselves whole. It's not our job to try and fix ourselves so that we would be worthy. But Jesus, you made us whole. We go in wholeness. We don't work towards wholeness. We live from wholeness. It is, it is just part of being part of your kingdom. It's part of being part of your family. We thank you for that. We thank you that there's healing in your wings. And we just ask right now for a touch of your healing power in this room. Father, in faith, we reach out this morning to touch the hem of your garment. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Yeah. We 
thank you that your life is in us. Life through your spirit. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just want to take a moment right now. If you're, if you're unwell, if you've got a physical um, ailment, a sickness, or just something uh, in your physical body, uh, we just want to pray for you right now. If, if that's you, you just want to raise your hand. Cool. All right, so people right around the room. All right. Um, keep your hand up. Keep your hand up if it's you. Um, all right. Um, go and be tassels. All right. Find someone with their hand up. Yeah. Put your hand on them. Let's pray for them. Thank you, God. Yeah. Thank you, God. Yeah. Thank you for your presence right here. Yeah, we thank you for your presence in this room, God. We thank you that, that there is healing in your presence, that, that right now as we minister to one another, we are ministering the tassels of heaven. We are ministering uh, the healing power of the Messiah because the Messiah lives in us. We thank you right now that, that each person that right now that is touching the person with an ailment, is, 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 is t- touching the tassels. Because, because you are in us, because the power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And, and Father, we believe that. We're a church that believes that. We believe in the healing power of God. We believe in your, your kingdom right now on this earth. And we, so we just ask right now for, for healing to come into everybody in the name of Jesus. For healing to come into everybody in the name of Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. 